Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. Today, Lewis and Ann are speaking with Aaron Silverstein, Managing Director of Bev Zero whose mission is to create high-quality non-alcoholic product options for consumers in North America. Their primary focus is cannabis and hemp-infused de-alcoholized beverages. As you'll soon notice, we'll be covering the cannabis-infused beverage markets in the coming weeks. There's lots of reasons we'll be looking at this space, but mainly because it's such a fast growth segment that's fueled by the general interest in health and wellness and a desire by consumers for healthier smoke-free experiences. And since it's probably a fair bet to say that most cannabis consumers have never even had a legal infused beverage, the potential market is huge. So don't sit back, lean forward. Now onto our conversation with Aaron Silverstein from Bev Zero. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. We are really excited to talk with you about Bev Zero, about the cannabis-infused beverage market, uh, about your background and how you got into this. So um, thanks for taking the time to join us on The Green Rush today. Thank you guys for having me here. Um, I I'm going to admit that I, I have been skeptical of the beverage side of cannabis, you know, as somebody who tends to be a flower person um, and an edibles person by nature, um, the the move into beverages always kind of struck me as a little odd. Um, but because you know, COVID itself is a respiratory disease, um, I am more and more excited about um, beverages infused with cannabis. Can you tell us your backstory, how you started the company, what you guys do. Kind of give us the the nickel tour. You got it. So I'll actually start with my own backstory because it's a bit of a funny journey to how we got here. Um, I actually was a winemaker by trade, um, had an educational background in that, went to university and studied winemaking, kind of a rigorous scientific version of it. Then went ahead, actually did it. And not my favorite job in the world, it turned out. But I love the science of it. And I ended up working for a company called Contech here in California that focuses on removing alcohol for all different kinds of purposes, um, mostly servicing the wine industry. And I ended up doing business development for those folks. And we identified what we think is a very massive opportunity. Beverages, cannabis beverages are slow growing, but we really believed that cannabis infused, dealkalized beer wine and cider, other adult beverages like that are going to be a massive part of the future of beverage consumption in the United States. So we created Bev Zero as a subsidiary of that parent company specifically to target this sector and to work with cannabis companies and to meet their needs for that because they've turned out to be some very unique needs. Can you talk a little bit about the science behind the making of a cannabis infused beverage? I think a lot of people have heard, you know, kind of mixed things about, you know, about the taste and about how it hits you and about, you know, I think the technology is, is getting, sounds to be getting, seems to be getting a lot better. Can you talk a little bit about the, the science and the technology behind it? 
I could probably talk all day and I'm not. <laughs> so when it comes to beverages, the thing is everyone who's got criticisms for them, they're, they're not necessarily wrong because there's been such a massive evolution. And there's also a lot of different providers out there right now. Not all of them are necessarily good. Um, what's been happening is especially the, the key thing has been developments in water soluble emulsions of cannabis. So that entire art of how do I take an oil, this substance that's not soluble in water, and then make it go into something I want to drink. Now I have to make it taste good while I'm doing this. I need to make it look good because people don't like it when beverages look weird. If they've got some cloudy <laughs> funkiness going on, it's got to smell good. And some of the hardest challenge with all of that, that a lot of people seem to forget is now it has to be stable on a shelf and stay like that. No one wants their beverage to separate into two little portions. You got some oil on the top. doesn't smell so good. Got some very unhappy consumers then. And no one likes to chew, chew their beverage. I have friends who used to drink, you know, like uh, Italian dressing, and I would see them go into the refrigerator and shake it, and they'd be fine with that. Mm -hmm. Ew, Lewis, really? <laughs> I do have friends who used to do that. Not me, but yes. Okay. Weird and, turn, but continue. Yeah. Um, but it is, if the consumer expects it, it's something you can get away with, you know, shake before serving. There, there are beverages like that. But if you're doing something like a soda, or an iced tea, or a lot of the customers I work with, it's dealkalized wine. Shake before serve is, is not something they want to see. Mm -hmm. And that just weirds people out for something that's, beverages new to cannabis consumers, really. So is I think as familiar as possible is important. Yeah. And I, I guess you just brought up another question. Isn't dealkalized wine grape juice? So I get asked that question a lot. Um, in my opinion, no. The unfortunate truth is that a lot of the stuff actually on the market today in the U.S. kind of actually is because that's way cheaper to make than taking a finished wine and then adding extra processes to remove the alcohol from it. Um, that actually is a little expensive to do and difficult to do and requires a lot of infrastructure. That's what we specialize in. So we want to make something that has no alcohol that actually tastes like wine because it's made from wine. You know, that fermentation where you create the alcohol creates all kinds of flavors. That's why grape juice mm -hmm. and wine taste nothing alike. Mm -hmm. Changes all the flavors in the grape juice into new things. So we want to do that, preserve those flavors, and create something that's actually available to people. So we offer this service of dealkalizing wines and other alcoholic beverages. The challenge with a lot of drinks has been onset. You know, the the you drink a glass of wine or you drink a couple of glasses of wine, you, you have a pretty good idea how long it's going to take for you to start to feel the effects. You know, with ingestibles, it can be anywhere from half an hour to two hours before you feel the, the effects. How, you know, how do you guys from a scientific perspective deal with onset and offset? Because those are, those are the, the two biggest issues in, in, in this side of the industry. So I'll tell you, 90% of the problems that I face in this industry, to me, it's actually all about community with how we solve them and who are the different partners we can work with to really accomplish things. One of the things I'll say is just unique about cannabis beverages compared to the rest of the industry is where other parts of the industry, you see a lot of vertically integrated operations that are thriving. 
cannabis beverages really needed multiple specialized vendors, really focusing on their own unique niches to actually get this going and moving and hit towards quality. So an example of that is a company called Vertosa, um, based in California, who specializes in literally just emulsifying different THC distillates or CBD from hemp distillates, things like that. And their goal is just to make the best possible water-soluble product for other brands to add in. And it gets amazingly complex because it can vary between every single different beverage, right? Trying to infuse a tea versus a water versus a wine versus a beer versus pomegranate juice all requires sort of a different surfactants and other ingredients to actually stabilize them that need to be tailored to the beverage. With that, and also I'd say what's really important though, is the way they're actually structuring these emulsions because they can actually vary in the size of their particles. The ones with smaller particles, if you ever heard the term nano emulsion before, if that's familiar, mm-hmm. what they're able to do is it actually crosses sublingually into your bloodstream. And what this means is you actually end up getting a rapid onset. Um, we're talking on average, usually like 15 minutes, not necessarily all the cannabis is absorbed in that pathway, but usually the majority, depending on the dosage. And what's really important here is that this actually, it skips going through your liver where your liver actually metabolizes the cannabis. I believe it actually creates a stronger form of the TCA, THC, apologies. Um, so it actually okay. creates an impact because it's going directly into your bloodstream and it's avoiding being metabolized by the liver as well as you actually need less of it to have an impact then. Because normally you're losing some mil- some percentage of your milligram dosage, right, just in your digestive tract. And it's also varying dependent on, did you just eat something 20 minutes ago? What was it and how much? So there's a lot less variables there. It's a lot more consistent. And again, because the liver is not actually metabolizing the THC into a different form, your offset is generally much quicker as well. So ideally, you're looking at a 15-minute onset and somewhere an hour to an hour and a half, things start phasing off. So it's actually almost more closer to smoking, in my opinion, than regular edible consumption. And do you see... Um I think, you know, when Lewis had talked about the the struggle with, you know, getting on board with beverages, which I think he's there now. Um, but, but, you know, who, who is the target audience here and, and what, are, what are some of the, the trends that you see, um, driving demand in the sector? Because you're basically asking people to, um, it is it is a new category and and onboarding a new category is tough. So, you know, how are you guys doing that? And what are some of the trends kind of driving demand here? So it's interesting. We're seeing two distinct uh, demographics where we're getting demand, really. You have what seems to be your more traditional consumers who are buying only very high dose beverage. You're looking like 100 milligram shot type products, things like that. Um, which are just very high doses and it seems to be a value buy and that's your more traditional consumer. But then we're also seeing the more microdose beverages really take off. Uh, I think one of the best selling brands right now in California, for example, is called Can, C-A-N-N, and they're doing two milligram THC servings. 
And I think that happens to appeal a lot more to your new consumers mm-hmm. who are looking for something that, uh, to me, the key word is sessionable. That's like a trending word in beer right now yeah. as well, where it's, I want to be able to have a few of these. I want to be able to enjoy it. And the really nice thing about that too is it's this familiar mechanism for dosing yourself. You kind of just inherently know how to sip on a couple beers and you're not going to have too much by accident because you've been doing this usually for a few years. Um, So it's familiar to the consumer who hasn't tried cannabis before because they're used to this with alcohol and they're kind of able to just readily pick that up and instinctively dose themselves. One of the things that you guys do is you, it's, it's, multiple categories, right? It's wine, it's beer and cider. And I, I personally am a hard cider fan. Um, are you seeing the, the traditional alcohol companies come to you and say, Hey, you know, I want to make a strong bow cider with cannabis and not with alcohol. Um, or is it only new market entrants who are coming to you guys and saying, look, you have a solution. We see a hole and we want to launch. So when it comes to cannabis rather than hemp, it is only new market entrance right now. You're not seeing your larger established companies um, pay interest to it, or at least they're not willing to admit to any interest in that whatsoever. They're definitely all sniffing around hemp though and CBD. And how can they get into that really the second that the FDA turns it on and says, all right, this is now compliant in food and beverage. That, I think, will be a pretty big deal the second that happens, and we'll see a lot of larger established companies getting into it right away. And are, are you, in terms of, of the taste and, and what people can expect from this, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit. Um, so so how would you describe, you know, the taste to like a, a cannabis-infused, I don't think we can call it wine, right? Or can we call it wine? I guess, what's the definition of wine and what's the definition of a cannabis beverage? Well, so that's the funny thing. And California is is actually very problematic where just because of the regulations here in California for cannabis products, anything that could be remotely construed as misleading the consumer that it might have alcohol in it cannot be on a label whatsoever. Um which is rather problematic. And I think it actually is more misleading, to be honest. So instead of saying dealkalized wine on the back of an ingredients label, even right now, they're saying dealkalized fermented grape juice, which is, I don't think many people are going to have any clue what that means. <laughs> so it's not too helpful. I mean, I've been sitting on this conversation now for 20 minutes. I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> Exactly. Now, if I just said alcohol-free wine on the bottle, though, you get it. And the interesting thing here as well is that when it comes to products without cannabis, uh, there is no issue with that. There's regulations from the TTB and the FDA that are completely okay with that. So I do think maybe not necessarily in 2020, but hopefully in 2021, they're going to loosen up on that. I think it's really just an oversight that people weren't considering. There seems to be very little awareness of cannabis beverages, especially actually in the California state legislature, surprisingly enough. At its core, you guys are a technology company um, and white label. So can you, is there, are there some of the brands that you can talk about that, that 
you're working with now um, so that, you know, when people want to go into the dispensary, they'll know, you know, this is powered by BevZero. Um, I just leave it at that. Unfortunately, I can't actually mention any of the brands that I am working with right now. Um, since we do a lot of white label work and service for people, we have strict confidentiality for every single person that we work with. It's the same thing with our traditional business in the wine industry. But I will say there's a number of great brands out there that I would very much encourage everyone to try. Um, I have a dumb question, um, and I should probably know this. Um, but you know, your your focus with um, the your cone tech technology is to remove the the alcohol from um, beer, wine, cider, and the like. Um, are you also working on on the infusion of of cannabis or, or THC or CBD or, or you know fill in the cannabinoid into those products as well? So. We're not working ourselves on it. However, we work very hard to assist people who I'd refer to as our partners. So I mentioned Vertosa earlier. They're an example of a company that just specializes in creating these water-soluble emulsions. But I'm using some of them, right? And all of a sudden, I'll encounter problems. Something could work perfectly fine in white wine, and now I'm going to add it to a red wine. And because of the tannins in that red wine, it instantly binds with the surfactants in the emulsion. It makes some weird white precipitant that ends up floating to the top and it's not working. So what we found is we need to actually work with these companies hand in hand to see what are the different variables we can tweak or the knowledge we can share to help them create something that's actually going to work in a red wine matrix. And that's actually ended up being a good bit of research and assistance on our part and, you know, different bench top sample productions, things like that to get it going. And we found we've really had to sort of rely on the other players in this industry as a community to get things moving in a direction and in any kind of a reasonable time frame. What's the, the, the biggest misperception uh, just generally about infused beverages? I mean, you know, I've tried some of the, the, the Lagunitas beers, they're okay. You know, I hope that's not your product, by the way. Um, so that's you know. not, that's actually, it's a seltzer essentially flavored with hops. Um, did a great job of the way they brand that, but I do oh, think interesting. consumers that they expect a beer and then you're having hops. Yeah. Beer. It was like, yeah, it was like, it was like, meh. you know, but in general, what would you say the biggest misperception is, you know, be, you know, for most people who are of the cannabis industry, you know, cannabis industry, or even more importantly, consumers who are historic consumers, you know, they gravitate towards other form factors. If you were to grab somebody walking into a dispensary by the lapel and say, hey, man, you have to try this because what's the because? What's the because is a tough one, but the single biggest misperception that I've encountered right now is actually just that they exist. There just is very little awareness. Um, and I tend to realize that more and more after being in that beverage niche of the industry, I'm sort of in a bubble where people just talk about it all the time and I'm amazed that other people don't know. But the fact that it's even an option is a complete surprise to most people. To me, another big part of this is your traditional consumer who's been smoking or vaporizing all their life, habit and you know ritual are powerful things. That's 
how people like to consume, they're used to it. And to me, that's part of the important advantage of beverage, I think, in the longer term growth is because you're tapping into something that the entire rest of the population already has a pre-existing kind of ritual for. Beverage is a part of every single meal, whether it's drinking alcohol or water, soda, anything. It just fits right into a consumer's lifestyle. Whereas smoking, vaporizing, or edibles, it's a bit different. Can we shift to, you know, to, to Bev Zero as a company? Um, you know, this is a, a podcast on the business of cannabis. Um, how, how, can you talk about how you guys, um, you know, you, you've spun off from the, from the, the core technology company. Um, you know, are you financed by, by the parent company? Are you raising money on your own? How, you know, how do you talk to investors? Um, is that something that you can talk a little bit about? Sure. So currently we're completely financed by the parent company. However, we part of the reason why I've structured as subsidiary is we would like to look at taking investment some point in the future. To be honest, we're probably planning one to two years from now to really seriously pursue that. Just because again, the beverage cannabis beverage market at least is in its infancy, really. Mm-hmm. It's only about 1.4% of like all cannabis sales right now which is I think twice as much as it was the year before, but that's still very tiny. And called opportunity. It's a massive opportunity to me, that growth, if you keep doubling year after year, Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be quite exciting. And we are definitely seeing a increase in demand from customers. I think partially because of COVID. Well, I, yeah, let's talk about COVID. How, how has it affected you and your business in terms of either the, your, your production, um, you know, your day-to-day business, or even in terms of, of deal-making and, and working with your clients? It has definitely been difficult to work with people, I'll tell you that, because a lot of the work we do, um, we're tasting different samples with people. We're working to meet profiles that they like and, you know, source the right wines for them kind of hard to be in the same room as someone with a mask on and tasting wine at the same time. Yeah, Yeah, that's no fun. We're trying Zoom tastings. That's maybe still not the best, but we're figuring it out. Uh, Hey, if you want to send me samples, I'm happy to be a sampler. (laughs) I'll do it over Zoom. Uh, You got it. I would be happy to get you some samples. You just send me an address and we'll send some infused and uninfused. Beautiful. you know, there are lots of wine companies out there that, you know, buy bulk grapes or bulk juice um, and then put their own label on. Is that how you guys are working or do you have relationships with specific growers that say, OK, we want Pinot, we want Cab grapes or we want Chardonnay grapes. And then we're going to put them through our process. And, you know, this is as good as any Coppola or Frank family. It's just you know, it's, it's our process and it's our infusion. So we do really a mix. We don't own any, let's say winery that's actually producing wine ourselves, but we have a couple close relationships with specific wineries who are very reliable and we can constantly source from as well as there is an entire bulk wine market, just like you're saying, where if you want to buy a thousand gallons of Napa Chardonnay, there's definitely someone there selling it. Um, sometimes we get some pretty interesting requests. Someone would like, you know, maybe 200 gallons of Gamay from 
France that they want to dealkalize and little niche projects like that that get a little bit more difficult, but it runs the gambit. I, looking back just at at what you see as the the future of of the market, are you do you see a world where we have cannabis beverages at bars when we have bars again? Um, and yeah. what is <laughs> Oh, I miss bars. Fingers crossed for soon. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, do you see people, are there going to be cannabis beverage bars or is it going to be integrated into, you know, your local, um, watering hole? I think we're actually getting really close to having cannabis beverage bars. Um, I know of one company that's planning to do a licensed on-premise consumption lounge in West Hollywood called Monica's house. I think they're going to come out before the end of this year and be operational. And they're planning on doing essentially edibles only, no smoking oh. or risable products. And what's especially interesting there to me is when you think about that, there's only so many sales you can do in one sitting. If I'm selling someone brownies or if it's, if you could actually pull off a fresh cooked pasta with, you know, an infused olive oil, something like that, right? similar to a regular restaurant or bar, you need to keep making lots of beverage sales. So with an operation like that, I think you can expect beverages are gonna be, I don't know, maybe 70% of their revenue and make a very important part of that portfolio. And I think we're gonna start seeing that trend more and more at different on-premise consumption lounges, whether or not it is edible only. Just because again, it's that I can sell someone four different microdose beverages, but I can only sell you, you know, one eighth of flour for that sitting. And then you're taking up a table, something like that. Hmm. What's your favorite thing that you guys have made? Like you, you, you went through the process and you went, Oh my God, that is so much better than I've ever expected. Well, that's a good question. Um, there definitely have been a lot of moments like that. I never thought I would get into non-alcoholic wine when I first decided to be a winemaker. So it's been a weird trip, I will say. <laughs> Your professors have to be like, what? <laughs> what yeah, they are, they are a little bit confused with me. I will say. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, like there's, you know, you've had, a, I'm sure you've tasted something like a Screaming Eagle or like a, like a Reserve Opus 1 and you're like, oh, that's the best thing I've ever had. And then you go back to work and you went, oh. This is so much better. So actually the crowning moment for me would be the very first time that I tried one of our non-alcoholic wines infused. The emulsion I was working with on that day, right? It had just sort of a bitter note, um, sort of a kick on the finish that almost reminded me of alcohol. So it actually replaced something that was still missing in the non-alcoholic wine, right? And it made it adult again you know, really something that felt more sophisticated and way less like a soft drink. And to me, that's when I really, really started to believe in this. Because to me, it completely changed the product and made it something even better, not just because of a psychoactive effect, but the actual flavor and the experience was much more what I think people are looking for. Uh, that's gotten me excited since then. My personal favorite was probably we did an infused Napa Chardonnay for one producer that I think is fantastic. Well, now you have me excited for it. 
Um, I, I just have one or two more questions um, and, and then we'll let you go. Um, talk about how um, your, your thoughts about the, the alcohol industry and um, as it relates to cannabis infused beverages. Um, do you think they should be embracing it or do you think there's going to be this kind of standoff, um, for, for things like shelf space and, and just, you know, consumer, you know, consumer usage overall? Like, where do you think, where do you think the beverage alcohol industry is going to fall into place here? To be honest, right now, it's actually a bit standoffish and I see that as a problem and a mistake because I really think you either embrace us or you're going to lose market share to it. I don't think that alcohol and cannabis are a perfect substitution for each other by any means, but there's a lot of data that shows most consumers, you don't want to consume both. It doesn't necessarily fit in the same setting. In one sitting, you tend to be much more focused on one than the other. And cannabis, I think, is obviously underrepresented versus where it should be just because only recently has the prohibition of cannabis started to be repealed. Social acceptance is growing. So I think either you get in on this or you're going to start losing out just because you're losing consumption occasions. Not to mention, until COVID, alcohol was also actually having a very tough time. Uh, the consumption of alcoholic wine and alcoholic beer has actually been either stagnant or decreasing. There's quite a lot of work we do with our European operations, actually, where it's just alcohol-free wine, completely uninfused, that there's a massive amount of consumption for in Europe. Um, really? Beer even more so. I think for most Western European countries, something around like one out of every 10 beers is non-alcoholic. Really? Every single bar in Spain I've been to, even the most rural ones, they have non-alcoholic beer on tap. Wow, on tap? Yeah. That's, so that's fascinating. We've actually been seeing the entire industry shift over there in that direction. Here in the US, we haven't seen quite the same level of interest. It's been growing. Where we've seen the most, though, has been cannabis, and that's part of why we've gotten so involved in it. Okay, one more question, and then we will. Then I promise you can start your Memorial Day weekend. Um, as you like. <laughs> I was telling you about it all day. <laughs> Great, that's awesome. We love passion. Um, you know, we Lewis alluded to this before about you know the the misperceptions about um, the the cannabis infused beverages, but um, we ask our our guests what's the the biggest untold story um, that that is that is happening in this industry. So you open the the um, you're based in Los Angeles, yes? Um, Are you? I'm actually uh, in North country, in Sonoma County. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, the, the San Francisco Chronicle or the San Jose Mercury News, what, what do you want to see on tomorrow's front page about this industry? What's the, what's the story that, that you feel needs telling? To me personally, it is that beverages exist. Um, there really is not that awareness. Most people I talked to about it had no idea that this was an option for them. Um, one thing I was alluding to earlier is that one of the biggest reasons why you haven't seen beverages in more places has been that the way California's regulations were established actually really hurt beverages in a lot of ways you would not expect where they're kind of unfairly penalized because of the way they're produced and the different requirements for that. 
as well as a lot of the marketing restrictions just impact it in awful ways. For example, there are restrictions on what color glass you can use. So in order to find wine bottles that you're able to use for this, some brands literally are painting every single one of their wine bottles so that they'll then meet regulations, which is crazy expensive and takes a lot of time. So we were actually lobbying with the California legislature and we were just going to meet different um, assemblymen. And every single one we talked to was actually amazed because they had never heard of cannabis beverages before. When they put the regulations into place, it was not something in their minds that ever existed whatsoever. So I think a lot of people are very open to making needed changes, but just no one has any idea that this exists or it's a need as much as it is yet. And I think that's slowing down the growth. I actually have one other question, which is when do you think a cannabis wine will win the wine, the harvest wine challenge in Sonoma? I mean, is, it, is that even possible? Does it have to have alcohol to compete or does it just have to be wine? I think you're going to have to have alcohol to compete there. Legally with the TTB, I can't necessarily submit that to a wine competition. You usually have to have more than 0.5%. Uh, I call bullshit. I'd like to try. <laughs> I totally call bullshit. You know, I, I'd rather be stoned than drunk any day. You know, there's no hangover. It's a better experience, a better effect. So I'm I, sorry. I agree with you personally. Um, I come from a family with, you know, a number of drinking issues, things like that. Lots of friends or significant others who have had those problems. And that's part of why I'm so passionate about this is I see it as an opportunity, maybe not a perfect substitute, but it's, something else there for people that I think will fill a need. And that is very much a need for a healthier product that's going to help a lot of people out. I mean, right now with COVID, alcohol consumption has gone up something like 50% compared to what you'd have sales the same time last year. And at the same time, you've got the who making all kinds of announcements about how please drink less alcohol that's actually compromising your immune systems and potentially causing problems. Don't drink more. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for your time. This has been absolutely fascinating. Um, you have truly both explained what's going on in infused cannabis beverages and debunked a lot of myths and have me convinced that I need to uh, pivot my consumption um, and, and make consuming beverages part of my rotation. And I, I really appreciate that. I'm very glad to hear that. And you just send me a dress and we'll get you started on that. Special thanks to Aaron Silverstein at BevZero. You can check them out at www.bevzero.com. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, find us on Twitter at the underscore Green Rush or on Instagram at the Green Rush underscore podcast or email us at greenrush at kcsa.com. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your favorite podcatcher. Thanks, guys.